I encourage you to grab your Bible or open to page 8 in your order of worship where you'll see our text today. We're going to be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. And it's good to be back with you all. I was away last week, so we had a week away from the book of Ecclesiastes. But you'll remember that this book has its origin from King Solomon, the great king of wisdom, and that presumably his wisdom was arranged into the current form that we have it here by an inspired author or inspired editor, and that what we have here is is an apologetic book, which in, in Christian circles, apologetic doesn't mean that you're saying sorry, but apologetic has to do with the defense of the faith. And, and that what he's doing is laying out a defense of the Christian worldview, you could say. This, this, how are Christians to view the world? And that, that quite often in the world, when we consider life under the sun, things seem, think, it seems hopeless, it seems like we're just going around and around again. Is there any direction for history? Is there any purpose for history? Does our life have a meaning? Does it have direction? That's what this book is dealing with. And so today we're going to, to be looking at chapter 3 in, in, your, the, in the first uh, eight verses. But you'll remember that flowing out of this, we were beginning to move to actually a sense of hope for the first time and saying that God has given us a calling to enjoy life, to enjoy the gifts of God, even though they are short. They're not our ultimate hope, but they are good gifts. And so I'll begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 3. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, in this time today to explore your word, we, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds, you would give us understanding, that you would draw us closer to you in Christ by the Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. And so as I read these words, depending on the, the type of music you listen to and depending on your, your generation, you might think of the, the song by the, the birds uh, that is turn, turn, turn. And it became basically an, an anthem of the anti-war movement in the 60s. And it's, it's interesting, as I was, I was looking at the, the history of the, of the song, 
And it was actually written in the, the 50s by Pete Seeger, a folk singer. And if you, if you look at the words to the song, it's almost verbatim the King James version of this text that we're, we're looking at today. There's a few small differences. He adds the, the refrain, turn, turn, turn. Uh, but even that is drawing from the imagery of chapter 1 in Ecclesiastes of the turning of the, the wind and the cycle. And the, the main addition, though, to the song was at the very end where it says, A time for peace, I swear it's not too late. And that's part of the reason that it became an anthem of the anti-war movement, that there was this, this sense that, that the, the words here drawing from uh, King Solomon was, was saying that there's a time for war and a time for peace, and potentially the day of peace could be today, that there's a sense of hope, this sense of longing for peace. And there's actually, this, this came from the, a website online, it says that the song reached number one in the U.S. in December 1965. That year, American ground troops arrived in Vietnam. Men on campuses burned their draft cards. Black civil rights activists, activists withstood fire hoses and police dogs. And President Lyndon Johnson promoted his Great Society reform. A chorus of shaggy-haired young men Press the nation to turn, 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 and accept that change is inevitable, history is a cycle, strife is temporary, and to everything there is a season. And I know that, that some of you lived through that time. Some of you may have been the, the shaggy-haired people <laughs> singing the song. Uh, but, but we wonder that that was the, the application of this poem in our text. But how are we to apply it today? What is the, the application of this text? Is that the correct application? So what we're going to be doing today is first we're going to just look at the text. We're going to look at this poem, and then we're going to look at application of the poem. And so first, let's look at the text. Let's look at this beautiful poem together. And right away, you see the main theme of this poem in verse 1. It says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. That there is a time and a season for everything. And then what follows is a list of different times. And if you were to go through and to count each of the times, there are 28 times listed. But each of the, the times is put into a pair of opposites. You could think of life and death. And for each of the pairs, there's a sense that, that it's encompassing everything in between. It's, it's A to Z for each of them. And so it's not that every single person experiences every time listed in this text, but it's that together this gives a picture of the totality of life. And even if you think of the importance of numbers in the Bible, the number Seven in the Bible is a number of completeness. And so there are 28 times divisible by seven, 14 pairs divisible by seven, that there's a sense of completeness, of wholeness. But it's also difficult to discern whether some of them are clearly positive, negative. Some are, are more difficult to discern. 
And, the, and there's not a clear order. It's not negative, positive, negative, positive. Sometimes it flips the order. Uh, but yet, it, together, it gives this beautiful picture. And so let's, be, let's quickly walk through these 14 pairs of opposites. And again, then we'll move to the application in a moment. But just really reflect on the imagery here in this text. So here's the first pair of opposites. A time to be born and a time to die. So you can think of this as their as your gravestone. Somebody was telling me recently that they bought their gravestone. Somebody here in this room. Uh, and uh, they were saying that on their gravestone they have their, their birth date, uh, they have their name, but then the death date is still empty. That, that that date is unknown, but eventually that will be filled in. And I think that that's a picture for our lives, that, that we have our name, we have our, our birth date, and we have a death date unless Jesus comes back first, but we don't know what that is yet. But yet it's part of life. It's part of the times of life that we go to baby showers and we go to funerals. There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. But then second, there's also a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. And this is one where I was struggling to see whether it was negative or positive. It's, it's different than life and death, but because there can be joy in planting where the new life is coming up, your spring, but then there's also joy in the harvest where you're bringing forth produce from the ground. So this is spring and fall. But it's also, I think, a figurative image at the same time where you can take this as a sense of there's times where you're, you're planting, where you're taking root, could be taking root in a job or in a community or in a home. And there's times where you're, where you're packing up, where you're moving out, you're moving on to a new place. So there is a time to plant and there's a time to pluck up what is planted. But then also there's a time to kill and a time to heal. And you can think of this as the work of the, the soldier and the work of the doctor, that as a society, we're thankful that we have soldiers who in a real sense are trained to kill. That, but yet, ideally, in the, the biblical idea of just war, that there is the defense of the innocent, that we are, are thankful that we have people who are willing to put their own lives on the line to protect others. The work of the soldier it could be the work of the, the police officer as well. There is a time to, to kill in a fallen world. But then that contrasts with another necessary role in society, the work of the doctor. That you have a soldier who is trained to kill, then you have a doctor who's trained to heal, or a nurse or a nurse practitioner, people who are, are specialists in healing. But even in life, different times can come. There can be times... This is that idea, that destructive and constructive idea that will pop up again. This time to kill, to kill and the time to heal. But then also, there's a time to break down and a time to build up. And you can think of this as the, the work of the, the demolition crew and the work of the construction crew. That sometimes you have an old building that it's, a, it's derelict, it's dangerous, 
It's hazard to society, and you need a demolition crew to come in and break the building down, that there is a, a time to break down. But then once the land is cleared, you have empty land, you can enter a time to build, a time to, to construct something new. And, and so the, the crew comes in, something beautiful arises out of that. And those are both parts of life, that you have a time to break down and a time to build up. But then there's also a time to weep and a time to laugh. And you know this as well. There's times where it's inappropriate to laugh. There's times where it's inappropriate not to cry, in a sense, where, where there, there's times where we go to hang out with friends and we're laughing, we're having a good time. There's times where we go to funerals and we experience death, we experience sorrow. You can think of Romans 12, verse 15, where it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And that's part of the Christian calling. We're, we're called to be people who rejoice, who laugh. We're called to be people who weep. And that's related to the next item on the list. So we said there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. But then there's also a time to mourn and a time to dance. And you can think of this in Jesus himself, that, that Jesus is someone who knew how to mourn, where he mourned at the, the funeral of Lazarus. But he was also somebody who knew how to celebrate, that he went to the marriage supper of Cana of Galilee. He made the, the water into wine. There was celebration and probably dancing as well as there would be at most Jewish weddings, that, that Jesus was somebody who knew how to weep and how to celebrate. And those are parts of our calling as well, to mourn and to dance. But then there's also a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. And Jonathan, my Hebrew expert, <laughs> uh, was my, my TA Hebrew expert, uh, was saying that, that in the Hebrew, this is the most uh, ambiguous uh, Hebrew. And there is a lot of debate about what exactly this, this means. Uh, but I, I think that, that you, can, you can picture the imagery elsewhere in Scripture. So in 2 Kings chapter 3, it talks about how Israel routed the Moabites and then went into their land, and it says that they overthrew the cities of Moab and on every good piece of land, every man threw a stone until it was covered. That essentially they, they spoiled the fields of the Moabites. And so that can be part of the destructive aspect of life. But then in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 2, it, it talks about a vine dresser who takes a fertile hill and he clears away the stones and then plants a choice vineyard. And so there's the, the, the destructive act of burying something in stones, and there's the constructive act of clearing the stones away, that both are a part of life, that there is a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. But the next, there's also a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And the image that I kept thinking of here was the, the morning of a wedding or the afternoon of a wedding, depending on the time. 
where it's traditional, not everybody does it, but it's traditional where the bride and groom don't see each other on the morning of the wedding. Um, and so there's a sense of this refraining from embracing, but then the bride walks down the aisle, they say their vows, the minister declares them man and wife, and then he says, you may kiss the bride, and they kiss, they're able to embrace. So just within that one day, there's this refraining from embrace, there's this embrace. But we also know this in other places in life where there's times where you, you're in a season where you're with those that you love and you care about, that then maybe those people have to, to go away and you refrain from embracing. It could be a, someone going off to war. Or even think of the disciples themselves where when they were with Jesus in the flesh, they could embrace him. They, but then when he ascended into heaven, they had to refrain from embracing, that they didn't work with Jesus in the flesh anymore, that there's a time to embrace there's a time to refrain from embracing. But the next, there's also a time to seek and a time to lose. And on this one, I couldn't help but think of my last week. I was out of town and I have a book. I had a book, a, a Puritan book that I love. And it's a, it's a beautiful book. And I left it in my dad's rental car. And I've been trying to see if they can find it, but they haven't found it yet which I was very bummed out about. But, it, but I was struck as I was studying this passage then that, that there was a time when I bought the book and there was a time when I lost the book. And that, and that so many things in life follow that pattern. I'm sure you've had things that, you, that you've bought and things that you've lost. And that this is part of life, that there is a time for both, for almost everything that we, we own. But related to that, uh, it says that they're in the, the next one, that there is a time to keep and there is a time to cast away. And then maybe there you think of Marie Kondo, if you've seen her documentary on Netflix, that the idea that there's times where you have something and it sparks joy and you keep it. And then there's times where you have something, you say, you know what, I've had this for years. I'm going to send it off to goodwill. I'm going to donate it. I'm going to give it away to somebody else. And, and that there are things, could be memorabilia, it could be, picture in your house, something that at one point in your life you care about, at another point you say, you say okay, no, this is, this is ready to move on from this, that there's a time to keep, a time to cast away, that both are a part of life. But the next, that there's also a time to tear and a time to sow. This is the theme again, destructive, constructive, but the image that I was thinking of here is from Genesis chapter 37, where you can think of Jacob, who had a, a coat made for his son Joseph. Um, and depending on how you translate the Hebrew, a coat of many colors, that there was this sewing together of something beautiful. But then after he was sold into slavery, his older brother Reuben came to the pit where they had thrown him, hoping that he was still there so he could draw him out. And it says that when Reuben returned to the pit and saw Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. And so just in that one chapter, there's a sense of the tearing of clothes, the making of clothes. And that image, I think, carries over to other aspects of life, bringing something together, tearing something apart. Both can be times in life. The next, there's a, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. And we know this just in a given time. There's times where you speak to your friend. There's times where you listen to your friend. There's times where it's appropriate to speak, where it's inappropriate to speak. 
You can think of Proverbs 26, verse 4 and 5, where it says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And so people might point at that and say the great example of contradiction in the Bible, but it's not a contradiction. But what it's saying is that there are times when you answer a fool in his folly, and there's times where you don't answer a fool in his folly, that there are times to speak and times to remain silent. Both are part of life. But the next, there's a time to love and a time to hate. And I've mentioned before how, how my mother growing up would never let me say the word hate. That if I said I, I hated my food or something like that, she would say, you're not allowed to hate anything but sin and the devil, uh, which is good advice. Uh, but I think that the, the truth in that is there, that there, there actually is a place in life for hate, in a sense, we are to hate sin. We are to hate the devil. We are to hate what is wrong in the world. We hate child abuse. We hate abuse. We hate what is evil and wrong. There's a time to hate. But then we also know that there is a time to love, that we are to love the Lord our God. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are to love our enemies. We are to love those who hate us, to do good to those who wish us ill, that there's a time to hate and there's a time to love. But then finally, the, the last pair here, the 14th pair of opposites, that there is a time for war and a time for peace. This is Tolstoy, war and peace. That, And if you study history, that is history. It's war and and peace. Here's a little short period of peace, a long period of war. Short period of peace, a long period of war. That, it, that there it seems to be a much more war than peace in the history of humanity, but yet both are true, that we have periods of both in the world, in our life, in our nation. And so again, there's a time for war and a time for peace. So that's the, that's the text. That's the poem. We kind of wrap our mind around the imagery here to see it our lives in it. But now let's turn from thinking about the text to thinking about the application. What is the meaning of this for our lives here today? And as we read this, it should point us to the sovereignty of God, the sovereign providence of God. Ephesians 1.11 says that all things work together or sorry, it says, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. That God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. And that means that of all the times, of all the seasons that come into life, that nothing happens by chance, nothing is random, nothing is outside of the power and the authority of God. And so the scripture is clear that God isn't the author of evil. It's not that, that he causes us to sin, but we also know from Scripture that, that he permits sin, he permits evil, that, that, that it happens according to his sovereign, eternal purpose before the foundation of the world. Everything is directed by the wise and holy, loving providence of God. And so practically, that means that the very best things in your life, the very best experiences in your life weren't random, but they happened according to the sovereign plan and purpose of God. 
And likewise, the very hardest things in your life are not random, but also happen according to the eternal plan and purpose of God. And I think that's part of what this text is trying to show for us. It's trying to show us how we should view life, whether we're in the good times or whether we're in the bad times. That if you find yourselves in the, the good times, well, then it, there's a sense that we should, we should be sober, that this text should sober our hearts when things are going well, to sober our hearts when things are going well. You look at the text and you say, well, maybe I see myself on the good side of the column in this beautiful poem from Solomon. Maybe you're in a time of birth, a time of harvest, of healing, of building up, of laughing, of dancing, of clearing stones, of embracing, of seeking, of keeping, of sowing, of speaking, of loving, of peace. And if you are there today, then praise the Lord, that's where you are. But then the temptation for us as sinful creatures is to, to look at all the good gifts that God has given, all of the peace, all of the love, all of the harvest, all of the bounty, and we say, well, this is really because I, I was good. I did the right things. I was wise. I studied hard. I planned well. This is really because of me. Where the Bible is clear that when things are going well, when we're on the good side of the column of human experience, that, that it should actually sober us and humble us to say, I didn't deserve this. I didn't earn this. That what I deserve in and of myself is the wrath of God. I deserve hell itself for my sin, yet God in his mercy has poured out so much good in my life, even in this world of suffering that I experienced so much good, and it's only the pure mercy of God poured out upon me. And you recognize deep in your heart in that moment that if God in his sovereignty were to take away the good gifts in your life, that he would be no less good, no less wise, no less pure in his directing of the world, that, that the goodness of God is not dependent on how well our lives is, are going at the moment, because there are times where things will go well, at times when things are, are hard. But yet what we do is that when things are going well, praise the Lord, we prepare our hearts in a sober way to respond like Job, who at the beginning of the book was doing great. He was on the good side of the, le the ledger of, of harvest and healing and life. But then it was all taken away. And his response was to say that naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Could our hearts be prepared, even in the good times, to respond like that? And so that's the first response, that it should sober our hearts when things are going well. But then the second response is that it should also encourage our hearts when things are going wrong. It should encourage our hearts when we're suffering, when we feel pain. Because maybe you look at this poem from Solomon and you see yourself in the difficult side of the ledger, that you, it's dying. It's a time of plucking up, of killing, of breaking down, of weeping, of mourning, of gathering stones, refraining from embrace, losing, casting away, tearing, silence, hating, 
warfare. Maybe that's what your life is. Maybe that's what you're feeling today. So what do you do when that's where you are, when you're experiencing the difficult times of life? Well, that's where the sovereignty of God comes in, because sometimes we struggle when we're suffering to believe that there's a good God who is actually still caring for us. But the alternative is a God who's not in control, a God who is outside of any kind of care or direction of the world. And yes, God is not the author of evil, but also God is completely sovereign in all things that come to pass. And that's amazing news for you and for me when we find ourselves in the difficult times of life. And that's why Romans 8.28 can say that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. How is it that that the good times can work for the glory of God? How is it that the the bad times can work for the glory of God? That he says all things work together for good, not some things. That means the best of things, the worst of things, all working together for good and God's eternal purpose. And he says for those who love God, for those who love God and are, are called according to his purpose. So we're encouraged in the dark times of our life. But then as we wrap up today, I just want to draw your attention to the, to the final word of this text, the final word of this beautiful poem from Solomon. And the last word, both in Hebrew and in English, is the word peace, uh, the word shalom, which is actually where Solomon got his name based on the word for peace. And so there, there is a sense of of longing here, a sense of longing for peace. And that's what Pete Seeger picked up on when he wrote the song, Turn, 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 that he saw this, this longing for, for peace, this longing for shalom. And that's why he, he said, it's a time for peace, and I swear it's not too late, that there's a hopefulness here. But the problem is, is that when this song was, was taken on by just the the anti-war movement, that, that in a sense the horizon was too low. The horizon was, was too small. Because ultimate peace, ultimate shalom, does not come through superior firepower. Peace does not come through just an anti-war movement. You might have temporary gains in a certain time. But that ultimate lasting peace comes only through the true and greater Solomon, the true and greater Prince of Peace, the Savior who we're told is our peace in Ephesians 2, that Jesus comes as the Prince of Peace who brings peace into the world, peace on earth, goodwill to men, as the angels announce. And so Jesus, as he came into the world, taking on himself a human nature, he experienced all the different times of life as one who can identify with our weakness, that he experienced the times of mourning, the times of dancing, the times of rejoicing. He experienced the day of his birth, but then ultimately he experienced the day of his death, the time to be born and the time to die. And as he died and was then buried on the tomb, the disciples entered a time of mourning, a time to weep, a time to cry, thinking that there was no hope, that that time of sorrow would have the last word. 
But then ultimately, the resurrection, they enter the time of rejoicing, the time of dancing, the time of hope. And the ascension, as we said, they had to refrain from embracing. But then ultimately, we look forward to a time that is coming, the time when Jesus returns in glory to judge the living and the dead, when Christ returns in, in power to establish the new heavens and the new earth. It's that time that is in the future for those who know Christ, who are in Jesus and in that day, all of the bad that we see here in this poem will be wiped away. That in a, in a sense, you can think of, of Jesus taking a, a big marker in this poem and just crossing out everything that is painful, everything that is hard, rewriting it in glory that there's no more dying, no more plucking up, no more killing, no more breaking down, no more weeping, no more mourning, no more gathering stones, no more refraining from embrace, no more losing, no more casting away, no more tearing, no more silence, no more hating, no more warfare, that all of the former things passing away. And instead, through Jesus, because of his life, death, and resurrection, for all those who repent of their sins and trust in him, comes a time of harvest, of healing, of building up, of laughing, of dancing, of embracing, of keeping, of sowing, of speaking, of loving, and ultimately of peace, this ultimate shalom coming because of Jesus, peace with him forever. And when we have that peace in our vision, then we can join the, the psalmist in Psalm 31 to say, truly my times are in your hands, Lord the good times, the bad times, it's all in your hands. And I know that you're directing everything ultimately for my good and for your glory in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the times and seasons of life, that you are a God who, who did create seasons, that you created summer and fall and winter and spring, that you created different chapters in the story of redemption, the period of longing for the coming of Christ, the, the period of the incarnation, the period following that, the period that will come when Jesus returns, that, that you are a God who loves different seasons. But yet, Lord, we know that in a fallen world, touched by sin, touched by rebellion, that often the seasons of our life bring, bring good and they bring bad. And sometimes we're weeping, sometimes we're rejoicing and laughing. Uh, sometimes we're being born, sometimes we're dying. But yet, Lord, we know that through it all and all of the times of life, that these are not random events. These are not being directed by human agents alone or by natural forces. But we know behind the tapestry of the events, behind the tapestry of our choices is you, Father, in your love, in your wisdom, in your sovereignty, in your power, directing all things. And Lord, that is what can give us confidence to face the times of our life. And so today, uh, for everyone who finds themselves in difficult times, I pray that they can be encouraged knowing that the time of peace is coming, ultimately in the Prince of Peace. But for those, Father, who are experiencing the good, who are experiencing the harvest, who are experiencing 
life and the joy that can come in this life. We pray that they wouldn't view it as ultimate, that they wouldn't put their trust in the things of this life that are passing away, that they would keep their eyes not on the peace that they're enjoying right now temporarily, but to the ultimate Prince of Peace, to the Lord himself coming in glory, that we'd all fix our hope in him. We pray in his name. Amen.